Thank you for joining us today at LifePoint Church. We believe Sundays are an opportunity to know God. For more information, including locations, service times, and small groups, please visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. Let's jump into the message. Today we are in week number three of a five-week series in October called Jesus Said, and we're looking at the red letters of Jesus, his famous teachings, and today we're looking at one of the toughest things Jesus ever said. (laughs) So if it wasn't already a little heavy uh, this morning, we're gonna hear one of the hardest teachings Jesus ever said. Honestly, as your pastor, I wish every Sunday was follow Jesus, he'll make all your wildest dreams come true, like how to just have your best life now. The problem with that is it's just not what Jesus talked about. And so today we're gonna look at one of his central teachings. He actually said it in a bunch of different ways throughout the gospels. And this is the text that was the first text that I really feel like the Lord gave me for this series, this whole series of Jesus said, looking at red letters. And so I've titled the message, The Price We Pay. It comes out of Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me there. In fact, I encourage you to always bring a Bible. Let me just read it for you and then we'll, we'll move into it. So Jesus is traveling from Jericho up to Jerusalem, starting in Luke chapter nine. And for 11 chapters, he's on the road with a big group of disciples. And then literally thousands of people have started following him. He's teaching great parables. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. It's a very unique passage of scripture from Luke nine to 19. And then he says something that honestly strikes the crowd and made a lot of people leave him, which is not a popular text for a preacher in a growing church. I'm just gonna tell you, Like this is one of those texts that can offend you, but my hope is that it doesn't offend you, but that it convicts you in the same way that Jesus desired it to convict his people. Verse 25 says, great crowds had accompanied Jesus. And he turns around and says to them, if anyone comes to me or follows me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." I want everybody to pull out your phone and text your mom or dad right now and just say, I hate your guts, Jesus told me to. Please don't do that. Some of you are like, yes, finally I get to, don't do that. We're gonna teach what he means here in just a second. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He gives an analogy. For which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, you'll lay a foundation, and when you're not able to finish the building, everyone who will see it will begin to mock you, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war doesn't first sit down and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 men to meet the other king who comes at him with 20,000? And if he's not able to defeat him while the other is still a, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So he gives these two analogies about counting the cost and planning ahead. In verse 33 says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. God, this is a hard word. And I pray that you would speak to us like you spoke to that crowd. Let the Holy Spirit, God, what I do believe is different is the Holy Spirit resides in us. You're gonna soften our hearts to hear your word in your heart. In Jesus' name, use me, Lord, amen. Uh, Have you ever been overcharged for something? Isn't that just a bummer? Have you ever been undercharged for something? Isn't that amazing? Like they forgot to add the cheese dip on the bill at the restaurant, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, yes, favor ain't fair. <laughs> any, any receipt sticklers at restaurants, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, bring me that receipt, please, and you go itemize it, everything down. Oh, you charged me for two Diet Cokes, only got one. 
be that person. Well, we live in an an inflated economy right now, right? Like prices are high on everything. Gas is high, groceries are high. You remember earlier this summer, eggs were like $87 a dozen. Every egg, every like chicken farmer, every backyard chicken farmer in the city was like rolling deep in the dough, trying to sling eggs online. Y'all remember on Facebook Marketplace, I got these dozen brown eggs for $87. Everything's high, gas is high. We're so excited when it's under three bucks, right? College tuition's high. My oldest daughter's looking at colleges. There's no more dollar menus anymore. I don't know if y'all noticed that in the last two years, they got away with them. And they didn't even tell us. It's called the value menu. Sneaky, sneaky. We're living in a day when spending anything takes a little more planning, takes a little more foresight, takes a little bit more intentionality. We can't frivolously just spend the way we were a couple years ago. Today, people, before they spend, they literally count the cost of what it means for the other expenses in their lives and the overall bottom lines. Before you spend, you have to count the cost. You should be budgeting. I read a statistic yesterday that said, on average, Americans are spending upwards of 71% more on groceries than they were two years ago. Everybody should have a garden right now. It's a reality we all face in life. When you go to college, you count the cost of tuition. When you you count the cost also of the degree you're getting, right? Like you start asking questions, will this degree get me a job? Will it make me marketable? Or will your undergrad be enough? Or will it only be enough for you to go on to a master's degree? Part of growing up and making wise decisions will be your ability to count the cost, to weigh the options, to consider risks and benefits. Jesus actually says this is part of maturing in relationship with him. And he says one of the toughest things to a very large crowd who was willingly following him In Luke 14, he's on this 11 chapter journey up to Jerusalem and this massive crowd, like suspected thousands of people are following him now on the road and he's just nomadically living. Like he's, it's like a whole burning man group. Like they're all just tent camping and caravanning with Jesus up to Jerusalem. And at one point he's kind of evaluating and he's hearing the buzz. Jesus was a celebrity of his day. He was a famous preacher. He was well-liked. He was a miracle guy. He he had clever and amazing teachings about the kingdom. All kinds of folks love Jesus, but in the crowd, there were folks who were sincerely devoted to him. I'll do whatever you ask. There were some that were just along for the ride and he's the latest kind of hot topic. Some were just curious, kicking the tires to see who he was and what are the miracles he's doing. And some thought he was divine, but they just were trying to check him out. But like today, people in that day had the same attitude. Like they kind of attached themselves as followers of the latest craze, the latest celebrity rabbi. If there was a like button on Jesus, he would have had a lot of like buttons, a lot of followers. But it's kind of like it is today, right? Like there there are uh, influencers. I don't know how you're 16 and an influencer, but anyway, it's a new job title you can give yourself. Um, They're influencers with millions of followers and millions of fans and millions of people who follow them. That doesn't mean you know them. Doesn't mean you're in intimate fellowship with them, right? And that's what was happening with Jesus. He's in this massive crowd and people are attaching themselves to him as that's my guy, that's my rabbi. And for some reason or another, the Bible says that he turns to the crowd and he gives this incredibly strong sentiment. And there's a couple things that I want us to see from this statement that Jesus made that is some of the hardest teachings that he taught throughout his gospel. The first thing he says is, I gotta be over everyone and over everything. If you're gonna walk with me, I gotta be first over everyone and over everything. Let's read it again together. In verse 25, it says, great crowds had accompanied him 
And at some point along the journey, he turns to them and he says this, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own self, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is incredibly tough. I mean, at face value as an English speaking audience, we don't even know the, the language use that he's using, but this, this crowd is traveling and caravanning with Jesus. He's the love everybody guy. He's the love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's the like, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you guy. And all of a sudden he's telling us to hate everybody, hate my parents, hate my kids, hate me. I thought I'm supposed to love others as I love myself. It just doesn't seem to make sense. And it honestly, if you're not careful, it seems like a glaring contradiction. But they're claiming this guy is their guy. They're saying, that's my rabbi, that's my teacher. But for him, he's going, no, 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 you can't claim me if you don't claim me correctly. It, it would require some things of you. All out commitment to Jesus over everyone and an all out commitment to Jesus over everything. Now the difficult part of this text, the most difficult part is the use of the word hate. In English, it's a word we try not to use against anybody. Like we don't want to use the word hate towards people. We teach our kids, we don't use that word in our family. We don't say hate. Now you can hate things like vegetables or certain sports teams or cats, you know, that's good. But Jesus, the God of love, the God of love all people is demanding that we hate our parents, our spouse, ourselves. Well, let me just give you a little teaching here. Jesus was God eternal, incarnated into a Jewish family. And he grew up in a Jewish tradition. He, he actually became a rabbi. It's one of the reasons he was baptized at 30 because that's when uh, rabbis began to teach publicly. And he understood all of the Old Testament scripture. For one, he wrote it. But second, he studied it faithfully. And he also understood the idiomatic expressions of the Hebrew people. And the word hate is one of those words that has multiple layers to it. It's kind of like the word like that we use now, especially if you're under 18. Like, 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 and she was like, and I was like, and I was like, 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 what do you like, like, like mean, like, anyway. The word like has so many meanings and I can't even figure them all out. But the word hate had layers of meanings. And for us in English, hate's very one-sided. It means I dislike something, I dislike someone, I disdain. But for the Hebrew that Jesus was, and also for the Greek audience that Luke was writing to, it meant something different. In the Hebrew, the word that Jesus would have been familiar with was the word sane. In the Greek, which Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, he would have used this word miseo. And both uh, the Hebrew word and the Greek word mean the same thing, it's layered. It has the original first intention uh, to hate or disdain, to despise. But the second meaning is what Jesus was referencing here. And it's meaning to love less, to love second than another. So for, here's, here's an example of this. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 is a famous text that a lot of Southerners like to misquote. Um, the text says, whoever spoils, whoever spares the rod of discipline hates his child. Now, how do we say it in the South? Whoever spares the rod spoils a child. The word spoils is never in the Bible or any uh, English lexicon for that matter. But anyway, the Bible doesn't say whoever spares the rod spoils the child. The Bible actually said whoever spares the rod hates his child. Now, no parent would say, I hate my kid. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is if you won't discipline your kids, you're not loving them fully. Like part of loving them fully 
is to even correct them and discipline them and give them boundaries and guidelines. And parents, whoop your kids. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what we say in the South. Whoop your kids. Hey, parents, discipline your children and tell them, I'm doing this because I love you. And what Proverbs 13, 24 says, though, is whoever will not discipline their kids hates their child. You love them less than you should. That's what he's saying. So that's the idea of this expression. He goes on to say, whoever loves his child is faithful to discipline them. In both cases, whether the Hebrew or the Greek, the use of that word hate, when seen in proper context, makes more sense. Jesus is telling his audience, and I just want to tell it for you in the MIV, Mike's International Version. Uh, Jesus said it like this in the ESV, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, now watch here, here's what he's saying there. If you're gonna follow me, and by the way, the tone of Jesus is not soft selling. He's talking to thousands, so his voice is probably elevated. And frankly, he's probably a little uh, full of anxiety because he's walking into Jerusalem where he's gonna be crucified and he's gonna lay everything on the line for these people. And so there's an urgency in his voice and he's going, look, if you're gonna be my disciple, if you're gonna follow me, you must absolutely and unashamedly love me more than your father, your mother, your family of origin, your upbringing, your race, your nationality, your background and your culture. You gotta love me more than where you came from. You gotta love me above your spouse and kids, your family and financial goals, your vacation planning, your ambitions as a team. You gotta love me more than the life you're trying to build with your people. And he goes, if you're gonna follow me and love me, you gotta love me more than your own self, more than your own life. You gotta love me more than your feelings, your impulses, your desires, your beliefs, the religion you grew up with, the way you think I was born this way. No, 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 you gotta put me above all of those things. And you don't get to live by your feelings and your preferences and your impulses. You don't get the privilege of saying to me, I was born this way. God knows my heart. Exactly, I know your heart. And if you're gonna follow me, I'm first or I'm nothing. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. And if you won't, look what he says. You can't be my disciple. This is how, I just, I love Jesus. He's not a religious, like rule monger but he's very clear. If you're under 20, you know what a DTR is. For the rest of us, it's a defining the relationship. It's a meeting, a lot of couples have. All the rest of us, we just say it. Like, I don't even like you anymore, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. <clears throat> this is Jesus having a DTR with his crowd. Now watch this. There are thousands of people, watch, in proximity to Jesus, but that doesn't mean they're following him. There are thousands of people on the road with Jesus, but that doesn't make them his disciples. We are called to love people, but not more than Jesus. We're called to take care of ourselves, but not more than we love Jesus. You don't just believe that he's real. When you follow him, you go all in with him. And he, here's what he's saying. If you're truly my disciple, you love me over everything and over everyone. Uh, let, me, let me just say it for you the way I've told my kids and my wife even. I love my wife more than anybody on the planet. But I don't love her nearly as much as I love Jesus. It's the truth. I love my kids way more than I like your kids. In fact, in comparison, according to this text, I hate your kids compared to loving mine. That's Bible joke, and some of you are like, that is so offensive. 
whatever, you hate my kids too compared to yours. That's why you don't get them Christmas presents either, <laughs> right? In comparison, I sane your kids over mine, but I don't love my kids nearly as much as I love Jesus. And you know how it fleshes out. When they wanna do stuff, Jesus doesn't tell us to do. And they go, but dad, come on, dad. All of my friends are, I go, yeah, but we follow Jesus, not your friends and their busted up families. Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey church, I love you so much. I, you don't even know. I've been waking up <clears throat> for just the last couple of days praying for you. I woke up two days ago just praying in tongues over you. I woke up praying like that God has never bothered me when I sleep. I love you so much, but I don't love you nearly as much as I love Jesus. I love working for him, but not as much as I love him. And that's what Jesus is trying to compel us to. He goes, look, you guys might be around me. You might be hearing me preach. You might be on the road with me. But if you don't love me over everybody, hey, even over you, that is so counterintuitive to the world we live in. Our world today says be your best you, live your best life, treat yourself. Give in to your feelings. You were born this way. You were made this way. Do whatever makes you happy. What? You know what would make, I got a lot of things that made me happy, would not make Jesus very happy. And the crowd hated it. It's so counterintuitive to the world we're living in. This is not religion. Notice Jesus said, he didn't say, if you're gonna follow me, you gotta do 37 things and you gotta go through all these different things. He goes, no, no, no. I just gotta be in the first position in every part of your life. So here's how we evaluate this. Look at your life. Does his word and his will and his way take first position or not? Does Jesus take first position when it comes to forgiveness? When it comes to giving generously? I mean, to me, tithing, like, I always feel like I'm a salesman up here for you to just do what God said. But honestly, tithing is such a no-brainer for me. God can have all my money. Are you kidding me? Serving on a Sunday, that ain't hard. He can have all my time. And you go, well, of course you can say that. You're a preacher. You work for God. I decided that way before he ever hired me because I'm a Christian. And he can have my Sunday schedule. And he can have my Tuesday schedule. And he can have my house for a small group. My whole life is his. The, the challenge on this, the way we test this is, does he have first position in your life? And just evaluate your life, your money, your calendar, your marriage. Hey, your, what you watch. Does God have first position in your sex life? It's so counterintuitive to the world we live in. We all wanna be an extension of our family of origin or our upbringing or our personal and professional goals. We brand ourselves with a political party. Do you think Jesus would have been in any of these camps? We brand ourselves with sports teams. We go all in. We give our biggest dollars and our most time to things that just aren't Jesus. And then we say things like, well, I'm just living my best life. We want to add Jesus to us instead of follow Jesus and make him first over everything. This is a, hey, listen. Remember what Jesus said in the take my yoke? He said, it's, it's, it's easy and light. This is not heavy, but it is hard. This is not meant to be heavy, but it is hard. And this is the hardest thing you'll ever do every day for the rest of your life. 
If you and I are really gonna follow Jesus, then he is the leader. You can't be a follower and the leader at the same time. If we're gonna follow Jesus, he's the leader. And that's what he said. Look, if you're my disciple, then I'm in charge. And if I'm not in charge, no problem, DTR. You're not my disciple. Let's just call it what it is. And he doesn't stand up here and go, and you're gonna bust hell wide open and you're gonna kick the doors of the devil's teeth in and you're gonna go straight to hell. He just goes, no, you're just not coming with me. I mean, I just love how gentle Jesus is with the truth. Hey, if I'm not first, then this isn't working. Could you imagine your marriage running like that? If you go, guys that are married, and some of you wanna be married, could you imagine like having a suitor come to you ladies? And she, he's like, hey babe, I wanna give you my whole life. But I've been dating this girl since middle school. I mean, we've been tight for years. You're cool with that, right? Like, can I have this little app? And what? Jesus is like, it's me. And, 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 and everything else is second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And listen, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to challenge you. I just, God help us all, right? This is not a popular sermon for a preacher to preach in today's world, let me tell you. And there's some of you right now going, I can't believe he's preaching. I'm so mad and offended. Good. Let it offend your flesh. I'm glad to offend you right into closer devotion to Jesus. So then he goes on and says this crazy statement. So we live dead. That is an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. Like, hey, little big fella, you know, like that doesn't, which is it? It's like, how, what do he look like? Well, he's pretty ugly, which I'm confused. Pretty ugly. Some of y'all appreciate that one, right? Jesus calls us to living dead. That is not possible. Such a weird phrase. Watch what he says. He goes on to like push a little further. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come follow me, cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute. This is absolute horror for Jesus to say this to this crowd. Living in Roman occupied Israel, where the Roman crosses are ever present reminders of Rome's incessant brutality and murderous spirit. Literally, they're on the road into Jerusalem and they would line the roads with crosses of dead criminals and dead, uh, like enemies of the state. And so, literally, as they're passing by crosses on the road, Jesus would horrifically say, unless you're willing to carry your own cross. The only people who ever had to carry their own cross were the convicted, rightly or wrongly, criminals who were carrying their own mode of execution. And it was the absolute shame of Rome to force people to carry their own death mode. It would be like being on death row and being told to carry your own electric chair through the jail to the room where you get in it. It is such a horrific thing. By the way, Jesus is a little bit foretelling what he's gonna be willing to do for us. And Jesus said, if you're not willing to carry your own death to self every day, you can't be my disciple. What? This is God's call for everyone. And if we're gonna live for Jesus, and be serious about walking with Jesus, the light of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. If we're gonna be in fellowship with Jesus and walk with him and follow him and be serious about him, then everyone and everything is second, even our own lives, our issues, our ambitions, our dreams. 
we have to put off our yokes in order to put on his yokes. We lay down our pride, our demand to rule. The very reason we got into sin in the Garden of Eden is because we decided to follow our own impulses over the impulses of God. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm reinstating that the way this thing works is I'm in charge and you're not. Jesus said, if you're not willing to die literally or figuratively to your own self, you know how many people I've pastored that have said, yeah, I wanna follow Christ, but I'm not giving that up. I had one guy tell me once, he was like, hey, don't look for me in the fall time, bro. Titans are in season and I got season passes. I said, fine, bro, but let me tell you something. They're on TV too. And we're gonna be in the, in the church house on a Sunday. I had a guy tell me a, a couple one time, they're living together unmarried, and man, I have this conviction, like if you're sleeping together, you're not married, man and wife, look, stop having sex together because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter six, and if you can't control yourself, go get married. And I tell this couple that, I go, hey, let's go get you married. And the, the, one of them said, I could never, ever get married secretly and then break my grandmother's heart. And I go, I said, would you rather break your grandma's heart or disobey Jesus? And literally this person said, I guess I'll disobey God. Now, I'm not saying that to shame him. I'm just saying, these are the things we do. These are the ways we rationalize. And Jesus is saying as boldly and as crassly and as clearly and as harshly as possible to a bunch of people in a Roman occupied culture, if you're not willing to live every day dead to you and alive to me, that's how you wanna live fine, but you're just not mine. I don't like this either. No, it's not good. It's hard. It's only good because Jesus said it. Paul said it like this in Romans 12. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. I mean, the, the, the tone of this is, for God's sake, I am begging you that you present your bodies as a, look at this, living sacrifice. There is no such thing. It's like being wet and dry at the same time. Every sacrifice in history died on its altar. And Paul is saying, every day you live dead to you and that's real life. Present your bodies as a living, under Christ, sacrifice dead to self. This is how we can obey God. This is how we can die to ambition. This is how we can give up whatever God asks us to give up. Hey, listen, this is how we actually receive real life. I want you to understand something. This may feel real heavy because all of us have areas of our lives that we've just not let die yet, right? But the truth is, the only way to really live is for you to die and him to come alive. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when God calls a man to himself, he calls that person to die to themselves to find life in Christ. The only way for us to truly live and enjoy this life that God has given us is for him to be in charge and for him to be God over us and for us to be willing to say, God, less of me, more of you. Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That is holy. That is acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world which says you be your best you. You do whatever makes you happy. You treat yourself. No, no, no. Be transformed. Be different by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and discern what's God's will, what's good and pleasing and acceptable and perfect. 1 Corinthians 6, I gotta finish. Paul says, our lives aren't our own. We've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. We are invited. Remember what Jesus said, I preached it two weeks ago in Matthew 11. Come to me, take my yoke and learn from me. Then you will find rest for your souls. 
That is real life. Guys, listen to me. Anything you give up to follow Christ is worth it. I promise you, listen, I think about my life as a Christ follower for 25 years and in ministry for 22 years, 21 years. And there's a lot of things that I dreamt about or I planned, I wanted to do, you know, and none of it compares to the life of living for Jesus. I would, I would rather live for Christ alone with nothing than to have everything this world has to offer and be apart from him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Real life is in relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's trying to help us define this clearly. If you're not willing to put me first over everything, if you're not willing to die to your own self, you can have that life, but it ain't my life and you're not with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old man has passed away, the new has come. We're called by God to die to self. This doesn't save you. Let me just be very clear. Dying to self and living sacrificial does not save you. It's because he saved you that we get to live this way. This does not save you. It's because he saved us that we get to live in full devotion to him. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? This is the price we pay, to go back to the title of my sermon. The price I pay to follow Jesus is I'll do whatever he tells me to do. I'll go wherever he tells me to My wife and I, know, let, let me tell all of you this as your pastor. I am here as your pastor as long as God wants us to be here. And I will obey Jesus to the end of the earth. I only wanna, and all of you should have that attitude. We only wanna follow Christ and do what he has for us to do. Y'all hearing me, everybody? Because that's real life. That's real life. This is living now. Right, okay. So finally count the cost. We got to do it. And this is what he challenges you with. He, he's like telling this crowd, listen, if y'all want to follow me, you better count the cost of this. It's going to cost you everything. And he gives these analogies. Which of you desiring to build a tower? I feel like this is so fitting for LifePoint as we're building a building on Tiny Town Road. Come on, somebody. Who doesn't first sit down and count the cost? Can I promise you this? We looked at everything. We looked at the, cross of, the cost of every bit of this project and then looked at you and the income of the church and whether or not we can afford to do it. Because you don't want to get halfway through the building and go, we don't have any money. And then everybody mocks you saying, they began to build and didn't finish. He goes, what king goes out to war and doesn't decide whether or not, this is very fitting for the, the conflicts we're in right now, hasn't decided whether my 10,000 man army can defeat a 20,000. If not, you go ask for terms of peace. It's a basic illustration, but here's what he's saying. Count the cost of this. I want you to evaluate. Are you ready to give your whole life to me? Everything we buy, everything we pay for, everything has a benefit, has a, a, a consequence, has a cost. And are you and I willing to pay the price to follow Jesus? Are you willing to say no to your flesh to follow Jesus? Are you willing to say yes to God's word to follow Jesus? Are you willing to lay down your lives to follow Jesus? Are you willing like John the Baptist to say he must increase and I must decrease in order to follow Jesus? It's a hard word, but it's a right word. Stephanie and I got to go to a wedding yesterday of a young lady in our church who, they've been in our church for a long time. I remember her as a little kid, you know, I feel like I knew you was a grasshopper, you know, like I'm becoming that old man where I just remember that she was a little kid. She's getting married yesterday and they made vows to each other that I will have and hold you for better or worse, sickness and health, forsaking all others and keeping myself only for you so long as we both shall live. That's what Jesus is asking. You know, marriage is a picture of the covenant between the church and Christ, that we would forsake all other religions, feelings, ethics, cultural strata, status, whatever, put all of that second to our deep abiding love for Jesus. He said, therefore, any one of you who doesn't renounce everything, he said it three different ways. 
about how we can't be his disciple. So I, I just wanna ask you to test your life today. I want you to evaluate you. Are you in a position where you can say, man, I'm, here, here's the thing, I don't think we ever like get it all figured out where all the boxes are checked. It's for the rest of your life, God's gonna go, okay, hey, this part's not surrendered to me. You did good with your sex life and your tithing, but your forgiveness for your dad, you have not surrendered that to me yet. Hey, you, you got your forgiveness stuff figured out, your finances, but man, your, your, your hatred for people of a different political party, you've not submitted that to me yet. I gotta be first over that too. For the rest of our lives, this is what God's gonna be challenging us with. This is a central message to the gospel of Jesus. I think every Christian should have in their library a copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. In this, he talks about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. And he says, cheap grace is grace, it's, it's preaching of forgiveness without a requirement of repentance. It's baptism into the church without discipline by the church. It's communion without confession of our sins. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's, it's the cross of Jesus without Jesus living inside of us. But costly grace, he said, that's the treasure hidden in a field. And when a man discovers that treasure, he'll sell everything he has to go buy that field so he can have that treasure. That's what Jesus is inviting us to today. The costly grace of living all in for him. It's why I say all the time as a pastor, God, I'm all in. I give you my whole life. And I just wanna challenge every one of you today to evaluate your life. If Jesus were in this room today and he said those same words to us today, unless you're willing to put every relationship second to me and renounce even your own self and put your life second to me and your feelings and your history and everything second to me and my word, you're not my disciple. If you heard those words from Jesus, would your reaction be like many in the crowd? Would you just scatter and go, it's too hard, who can do it? Or would you humble yourself and go, man, you're inviting me to wrestle with this. You're inviting me to get this right. And would you get it right with God? Let's do that together. Before anybody leaves, let me lead you in a time of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus Christ who's given his life for us and now invited us to give our lives to him. Thank you, Lord, that you would prove your love for us through the death on the cross and your resurrection. God, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that your word would come alive in us right now, that this challenge that you gave to the people on the road to Jerusalem would be a challenge for us, that God, every part of our lives would be submitted to the lordship of King Jesus. Lord, if there's an area or two or three or 10 of our lives it's not devoted to you, would you shine a bright light on it right now? God, take notice of it for us and call it out in us. And Lord, call us to a place of repentance and surrender. We receive your grace by faith. We receive your salvation by faith. We receive this word by faith in Jesus' name. Whenever I pray this with me and just mean it from the bottom of your heart, say, God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his sacrifice on the cross to pay for my sins and to open wide an invitation into the kingdom of God. I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness, your cleansing. I receive your salvation by faith in Jesus' name. Say, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours to the glory of God. You can have my life 
every bit of it. Say it again. Say, God, you can have my life, every bit of it, in Jesus' name. I'm all in to the glory of God. Lord, let this word sink deep in our hearts. Let this word challenge us this week. And God, may we never be the same, in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. We're so happy that you joined us today. If you'd like to grow in your walk with Jesus, stay connected, or partner with us through generosity, be sure to visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. We hope that you have a blessed week and we'll see you next Sunday.